Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about the Berlin Wall, um, the uh, construction of the wall and the kind of the context really of the um, the Cold War um, throughout the 1950s uh, all the way up to the building of the wall um, at the end of the summer of 1961. Um, and the context is important, really, and I think this, you know, when you're studying this at school, it kind of gets glazed over that there's a much bigger picture happening here. Um, and it's one, um, ironically, of kind of stabilisation of Cold War politics um, throughout the uh, the 1950s. 1950s, obviously, quite a, um, a, a time of high Cold War tensions, but um, from the Berlin airlift um, to the end of the Korean War, there is um, a, a feeling that you know, Soviet troops may well um, kind of replicate some sort of uh, Korean War-type um, conflict in Europe. And there's a, a genuine fear of a, a Soviet march westwards. The death of Stalin in 1953 and the end of the Korean War that year present opportunities for um, a reduction in tensions, a stabilization of, of relations. Partly because you have the uh, rise over the next three years of Khrushchev um, to the, the leader of the Soviet Union. And Khrushchev needed to be able to uh, present himself um, as a an alternative to Stalin, as a um, a kind of a, a continuer of the legacy of Lenin, as opposed to Stalin. Not out of any sense of a rejection of Stalinism, he was quite involved in Stalin's major crimes, particularly in the Ukraine. But he was uh, he was a, a useful ploy to present himself as a, as a credible alternative. Um, following the secret speech in 1956, however, Khrushchev's um, Khrushchev's reputation within the communist world is seriously uh, undermined. You know, for everyone from the uh, the Balkan. Uh, new new Balkan communist states through to the Chinese are outraged that 
He has publicly denounced Stalinism. And so Khrushchev needs to find ways to project kind of power and strength once again against the the kind of the forces of capitalism. He needs to be seen to be this kind of uh, belligerent figure once more on the world stage. Uh, And Berlin becomes from about 1957 and 58 onwards uh, an ideal way of doing this. So, with Berlin, um, you know, once the uh, the capital of uh, once united Germany, um, obviously it was divided uh, by the four Allied powers in 1945, um, who had a, the four power agreement over separate ger- zones of Germany and separate zones of Berlin, which is deep within the uh, what becomes East Germany after 1949. Um, the kind of the, the immense sort of destruction of the, 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 the war had wrought, particularly on, on the Soviet Union, really gave um, the, uh, the, the Soviets at Potsdam almost a kind of a moral um, uh, right, if you will, or a moral imperative, or um, at least a very strong argument. Um, that it had uh, the right to um, rule um, over East Germany and East Berlin in, in a manner as it saw fit, particularly uh, with regard to reparations and the, sort of the asset stripping of, of the East, which has a knock-on effect later on of creating a poor and impoverished East Germany that um, makes the West, uh, West Berlin and West Germany look very attractive. Um, by the um, early 1950s, the land border between East Germany and West Germany was uh, sealed um, because of migration across the border. And it meant that Berlin could become the only conduit for uh, East Germans wanting to cross over into the West. Um, the, in the 1950s, West Germany experiences this economic boom. It is uh, General Lucius Clay, who is the uh, uh, chief allied commander in Berlin, and particularly also was during the Berlin airlift, argues that by um, keeping, by making, um, uh, by fostering an economic boom in West Germany, you make the notion of liberal democratic capitalism uh, a particularly uh, attractive one. And the battle to defeat communism, to keep communism at bay, isn't going to be won by tanks and bombers and nuclear weapons, particularly after 1948-49 when the Soviets gained the, the atomic bomb as well. But it's going to be won through hearts and minds by bringing the idea, bringing the idea, uh, winning the arguments economically, presenting to uh, Germans the benefits of free market capitalism as opposed to communism. Not that they were unaware of these things. Um, the um, problem that East Germany has always is it's a substantially smaller state. Um, it just under 18 million people um, that it could ill afford to lose. Um, it had lots and lots of... It had the lion's share in many industries, particularly things like kind of um, car manufacturing... And um, the textiles industry had a, a huge chunk um, of those fell into the Soviet area. But again, a lot of this was dismantled and taken back to the Soviet Union as compensation. 
The experience of Stalinism um, was quickly um, proven to be extremely unpopular in uh, East Germany. Uh, in 1953, uh, long working hours, a uh, curtailment of workers' rights, um, high prices and um, oppressive um, police, uh, an oppressive police state led to uh, to riots which were brutally put down by East German troops and by the Soviet Union um, with uh, a, a range or a kind of a, a round of kind of arrests and executions thereafter. But it wasn't just the poverty and oppression of East Germany um, that was uh, leading to uh, this mass exodus through the border uh, from uh, East Germany um, through to to the western and through East Berlin come uh, Czechs, Hungarians and Poles. Anyone that could manage to uh, make it that far was uh, the possibility of, of crossing the border. So you get uh, something of a brain drain from the Eastern Bloc in general and other Eastern Bloc countries become particularly indignant with um, the um, East German authorities, but East German authorities have a problem because under the Four Power Agreement, there is free mobility between the various zones of uh, Berlin. So even if you build a wall along the East German to West German border, you've still got this conduit in Berlin where East Germans can cross over into the West and then once they're there, can quickly be given citizenship and moved into West Germany if that's where they, they want to go. Um, so um, it becomes this um, uh, problem um, for the internal diplomacy of the Soviet bloc within Europe. These communist puppet governments begin to become extremely um, aggrieved. And the, um, the losses of population in East Germany become unsustainable. So um, between 53 and 55, the, uh, the border is closed and barbed wire is placed all the way along uh, between East Germany and West Germany. And one of the uh, claims that the Ulbricht government had was that they were trying to insulate the socialist uh, fatherland of East Germany from the, kind of the uh, tainting of uh, the capitalist world. And they were trying to stop people crossing in the other direction, you know, keeping the troublemakers out and all that sort of thing. Uh, which is obviously seen as, as palpable nonsense at the time. Um, by 1961, a fifth, one in five, of the East German population had migrated, which amounted to about 3.5 million people. So these problems were becoming a serious issue for Khrushchev. Um, not only had it um, been uh, a, a running embarrassment for the East German government, but it was used as a great ideological stick to beat the communist world with us to show, well, you know, if people are given a choice, they choose uh, liberal democracy and free market capitalism every single time. Um, and the um, problem, problematic position that he was in uh, in the late 1950s um, following um, the secret speech and somewhat uh, backlash in places like China the issue of Berlin becomes a, a good one to make a stand on. So in 1958, he made a speech that indicated that Soviet policy over Berlin was hardening and becoming more aggressive, and that he wasn't, the Soviets weren't simply willing 
uh, to accept what they viewed as interference from the West in their zones. And he demands the withdrawal of all Western Allied forces from the city. Um, the, he says, in essence, that if they don't... There was never really a peace treaty signed at the end of the um, Second World War, the equivalent of the Versailles Peace Treaty at the end of the First. So um, the Germany is still occupied, and the two uh, aspects, of the two sides of Germany, West and East Germany never sign a formal peace treaty with the Allies. And the Soviets say, well, you know, unless you, unless the Western Allies withdraw from Berlin, we will simply conclude a separate peace treaty with East Germany um, and we'll kind of leave you leave you guys in, in the diplomatic mess that that will, will result in. Um, and so uh, what we suggest is... Perhaps instead of, uh, you know, what we suggest is we have a unified and neutralised German state um, and this can, uh, this hopefully, Khrushchev thinks, will fall under the, the, sort of the aegis of the Soviet Union uh, eventually. Or perhaps it will even become, you know, a useful ally in the end. However, Khrushchev became increasingly suspicious that, uh, as Stalin had become, that a, uh, a rearmed West Germany uh, was about to be uh, presented as a kind of a powerful and dangerous enemy once again to the Soviet Union. And the thing that he particularly feared was that the Americans would equip West Germany with nuclear weapons. And he um, repeated these demands between 1958 and 61 to Eisenhower and, and Kennedy at uh, the various summits culminating in the, the Vienna summit in 1961. Uh, the, the, kind of the, the level of exodus by July 1961, in one month 30,000 people cross over. Uh, and then in August, in the first week of August, just before the wall is put up, 21,000 people cross in one week. Um, and there is a fear that kind of the uh, the state will will collapse. Obviously, this isn't the first time that there had been this kind of intervention to try to. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Uh, cut off Berlin and to force the Allies out. The, kind of, the two Berlin crises, I guess, really are 48 to 49 and uh, 1961. Um, though the 1961 crisis really is, is bubbling along for, for quite a long time. You've got at this period of time as well the kind of the development of you know, rival defensive pacts in uh, the guise of uh, NATO and the Warsaw Pact. Um, and so this, this, whilst the issue of Berlin is one that, one that sort of chiefly threatens instability and nearly comes to, uh, nearly comes to the point of war, there is, uh, on both sides, um, due to kind of military build-ups, this kind of rather unlikely uh, development of, of stability. And Berlin, the Berlin crisis, is the last piece in the puzzle. Within the um, Kennedy administration... Two different views um, prevailed of um, what to do about Berlin. There was um, plenty of um, spirit of compromise. Um, the, uh, uh, the State Department repeatedly briefed Kennedy that Berlin wasn't worth going to war over and um, it was possible to compromise with the Soviets. Clay on the ground argued that um, as the wall started to go up, and we kind of get ahead of ourselves slightly here, but as the wall started to go up, he said, you know, if we just put a bulldozer on the front of a tank and go through it, if we knock this damn thing down, the Soviets will back down. And subsequently, archival evidence suggests that perhaps that was an astute judgment um, and that the the Berlin Wall crisis could have been... um, brought to an end uh, at that point. The Berlin Wall may never have existed had Clay gone ahead. But um, Kennedy, um, at the same time uh, as uh, he um, decides that maybe there is room for compromise and intimates this to the Soviets, um, he also um, goes, uh, engages in a uh, programme of rearmament and of... Uh, uh, calling up national guardsmen and increasing uh, things like the, the the draft and that sort of thing, um, and so uh, the Soviets have uh, mixed messages, which is uh, one of the the kind of the uh, a key theme of the the Cold War, um, particularly up until the Cuban Missile Crisis. This ambiguity behind what's really being uh, intended. Uh, Khrushchev particularly comes around whilst on holiday uh, the Black Sea resort of Sochi becomes very very angry when he hears that the Americans are um, rearming or increasing their their level of defence spending and perceives this as as a threat Um, he uh, believed when he met Kennedy at the Vienna summit in 1961 that he wasn't dealing with Eisenhower anymore, this you know, battle-hardened general who had proved himself in the Second World War. He was dealing with uh, a young lad, if you will, um, and he thought that he, want, he wanted to test Kennedy's resolve and see what Kennedy was made of, and 
uh, later on tries again uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and believes that Kennedy can kind of be pushed around a little bit, that he's a sort of a, a lesser and inexperienced man. Um, and he discovers that really Kennedy is quite the cold warrior and quite willing, when necessary, uh, to um, draw a line in the sand and to be, uh, to be belligerent in, in response. Throughout 1961, uh, the uh, stockpiling of barbed wire, of fence posts, concrete, bricks and mortar and everything else you need to build a, a long wall um, around, really not around, you know, not between the two zones, but around West Berlin, um, was um, well known. Even West German companies, even British companies, were selling things like cement uh, and mortar and barbed wire to East Germany. So no one was surprised, uh, at least nobody in the uh, military and defence circles of the West was surprised when the wall started to go up. It had been long understood that this was what was going to happen. And I think this piece of information is the really interesting bit, that um, the CIA, MI6 and various other um, agencies... Um, various generals knew full well the Soviets were going to, to well, and well, the East Germans with the Soviet help were going to build the wall and perhaps um, encouraged it a little or perhaps um, were unfazed when it occurred and some actually viewed it as a reasonably positive development because at least it meant that instability declined. You know, there may be uh, the, the wall... Uh, may have been very uh, unpopular with the civilian populations and had divided families and you know terrible breaches of human rights. But as far as the generals con- were concerned, it meant that tensions would decline. And once stability had been resumed, then the risk of uh, open conflicts uh, declined. The American intelligence had spies in the East German regime and knew a week before the building work began that the East German government was planning to create a war. Um, and so this was, it came as no surprise. So at midnight on August the 12th, 1961, soldiers and police in East Berlin closed the borders with the Western Zone and they set up barbed wire uh, along a 156-kilometre border zone uh, around uh, West Berlin. Um, the wall itself comes slightly later. But because Berlin is inside East Germany, um, the Western Zone is seen by um, the East German government as a small island of anti-communism in a communist country. And this is the kind of the, the spiel that they have for um, the East German population. And they said, really, we've got to quarantine this, you know, troublesome, uh, you know, still basically kind of quasi-fascist um, uh, sort of city-state, if you will, um, from our socialistly uh, socialist um, fatherland, um, thirty-two thousand East German troops were um, used to build the wall, and they uh, the Soviet tank division was kept in the rear, just to remind the East German people not to protest or to kick up a fuss, and maybe to uh, intervene if the West decided that they were going to um, fight to prevent the wall from going up. Um, roads and courtyards and houses and gardens and uh, public spaces that crossed between the zones were cut in half and the windows that looked over the wall were bricked up to prevent communication between the two sides. 
Normal rights as American and British and French diplomats had to cross over into East Berlin were revoked when tensions were raised on the October 25th when the Americans drove tanks to the border between the East and West that hadn't been yet cut off by the concrete wall. The, the, the wall itself, when it's built, is built kind of a, a few hundred yards behind the, the barbed wire um, and the houses between the barbed wire and the wall are demolished. So you have this kind of no-man's land, which is a, a very dangerous place to cross if you can be seen from a guard tower, which are erected along the walls. And there were, um, in 19, after 1989, when the wall came down, trials of um, guards and uh, East German Stasi um, senior officers and politicians who had shot dead East Germans trying to cross over. Um, but this, uh, the, so the Americans drove tanks to the border and the Soviets responded. Both, you know, Soviet tanks and Americans had live ammo um, and were placed next to one another um, across the border, uh, pointing at one another. Um, and if either were uh, if they were attacked, it was possible that we you know in October 1961 that World War Three could have broken broken out as a shooting war along the border at that point. So it's a very dangerous moment in the Cold War, um, a moment of key instability, um, and followed by uh, this period of you know increased stability once the crisis dissipates. The standoff ends when both sides, the Soviets say, well, we'll withdraw five metres, the Americans say, well, we'll roll our tanks back five metres, and it's quite, quite sort of an absurd moment in the Cold War, these you know, tank crews back away um, slowly and fortunately without a, a shot being fired. So um, the crossing over to the, the West had been a crime since 1957 anyway, and you know, publishing punished by a long prison sentence since the the wall across along the the um, the, the border fence uh, along the um, border between east and west was was put up. Um, but uh, by the time the wall had been built, two point eight million East Germans had, had crossed over um, anyway. Um, East Berliners uh, continued to make attempts to escape. Some people jumped out of windows onto mattresses. Some were helped over by uh, other West Germans. Some people uh, swam across the Titlo Canal. Um, and there were families who were divided and didn't see each other until uh, the war came down in the 1980s. Um, and the Stasi had to pour vast resources into policing the wall. Uh, there were various high-profile attempts, balloons, stolen aircraft, tunnelling people, uh, driving, trying to drive kind of cars and buses through the wall, um, and uh, you know, various, various schemes over the years of kind of great escape uh, um, kind of style. Um, but the the real result of the war was a kind of, as I said, an, an, an uneasy stability thereafter. And it gave um, uh, Western politicians and occasionally uh, celebrities, and by the end of the 1980s, you know, people, the likes of David Bowie and Bruce Springsteen have observations in their music on the, on the Berlin Wall. Um, the last concert to be played as the Ber in Berlin as the wall was still was coming down was Pink Floyd's The Wall. You know, you can 
see what they did there. Um, and it becomes this immense political and cultural kind of focus point um, for um, the, and, and becomes a kind of, a, unfortunately for um, the communist bloc, a clearly, um, a clearly indicative symbol of the Cold War and a symbol of the kind of the, to the, 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 the supposedly the moral and liberal superiority of the West. Uh, and by uh, by the 1980s, it was um, the likes of uh, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher um, used it really as a kind of a, a, uh, a, a leverage on um, Gorbachev during the Perestroika era. Yeah, Reagan famously sort of shouts, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Really, um, the the Berlin Wall itself is uh, kind of probably quite a peripheral issue in uh, in, in the Cold War, though uh, because it is there in bricks and mortar, it's very easily dragged centre stage to help make any anti-communist argument with. Um, okay, well, so that was uh, the Berlin Wall, and I, I'm going to come back um, a little bit more to. Um, Germany in the 1960s uh, later on. Um, I'm kind of keen to talk uh, a little about uh, Germany in 1968. I, I talked about that a while back when I talked about the Bader Meinhof gang, uh, but there's, there's more to be said on the, on the German student movement, I think. Uh, so that's a story for another time, anyway. So the uh, new Explaining History uh, recording studio is almost built, and so we should be resuming normal services soon. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 